Join us live as we celebrate the fall feast, beginning with the Feast of Trumpets on September the 17th at 3 p.m. Then the Day of Atonement on September the 26th at 3 p.m. The beginning of the Feast of Tabernacles, October the 1st at 3 p.m. And the closing of Feast of Tabernacles, October the 8th at 3 p.m. We look forward to you joining us. Shalom. Shalom, everyone, and welcome to the Science of the Covenant. We're glad you're here to join us today as we continue our studies on, as Pastor give us the studies on This World's Kingdom, Part 11. Before we get started, if you missed us on Tuesday, it was very informative of the pastor, what he spoke on the Day of Atonement. If you didn't get a chance to watch it, I suggest you go back and try and watch it. It was very insightful, and it gave us a lot of knowledge. And we want to encourage you to join us tomorrow as we celebrate the beginning of Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles. Tomorrow at 3 p.m., mark your calendars, whatever you need to do, join us then. Also, join us next Sunday, uh October the 8th, as we close out Feast of Tabernacles again at 3 p.m. So if you're ready, if you make sure you got your pen and paper handy, your iPad, your tablet, your phone, whatever the case may be, where you're taking notes, because Pastor about to give us another good one. So with that, I will turn it over to the pastor. Okay, thank you very much, boys. What we want to do is continue where we left off, but we want to reemphasize that tomorrow is the beginning of the Feast of Sukkah. And as we celebrate that feast, we want to look at that particular feast in a very different way than perhaps you have been taught it. So we want to encourage you uh, to be with us tomorrow at 3 o'clock on Sunday as we have our service. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to give some insights on the Feast of Soka. And then the few insights that I give, we want to look at those. And then, I, then the following week, I'm going to close out on the same scenario, but it'll be a different part of the discourse. So one discourse tomorrow we we'll start with some of the things that we'll be talking about on the Feast of Sukkot. And then we'll close out on the 8th of October, the rest of the insights. So we encourage you to be with us. And if there are those who may be interested, let them tune in as well so they can be a part of the service. So with that being said, what we want to do is to continue where we are looking at the kingdoms of this world, and we are talking about before the age of Adam. 
And uh, <clears throat> as we look at that, we are trying to answer the question, were there intelligent beings on this earth before Adam and Eve? Join us live. Let us pray. Our loving Father, we thank you for another privilege of being able to come and to fellowship one with another by discussing your word and asking questions and being able to peruse the spiritual understanding of the things that we are doing. And we pray and ask, oh, Father, that as we go through this discourse, that it might be insightful, that it might be something that we can understand. While it is not a salvational issue, we still are probing it to be able to see that if there were beings that were here prior to Adam and Eve, then what happened to that civilization? So as we open the word and as we discuss your word and as we listen to it and internalize it, that we may be able to see the truth that you have for each one of us. Praise this prayer in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Now, in some of our previous disc discourses, we have seen how Lucifer, the covering church, the old serpent, the devil, was cast to this earth. Now, <clears throat> what we ascertain is whether he was here on earth before the fall or was he here only after his fall. Is a certain amount of time he was on this earth, and if he was here before the fall. These are only some of the questions that we raise as we go into the, this part of our discourse. And as we explore this subject, no doubt other questions will emerge. Before we start to tackle this question, we want to first lay out two views that generally we can use as a premise for our study. So what we want to start with is to look at Genesis chapter 2 and verses 1 and 2. So we want to turn into our Bibles to Genesis chapter 2, and we want to read verses 1 and 2, because these two verses throughout our discourse today will be the main focus in which we are looking at. Okay, now the Bible tells us here in Genesis chapter 1, Verses 2 and 3, it says, In the beginning, Elohim created the heaven and the earth. Now, some Bibles have the heaven and the earth, and some Bibles have heaven and plural, which says he created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Ruach Elohim, or the Ruach uh, Elohim, or the spirit of Elohim moved upon the face of the waters. So now these two verses is what we want to kind of take an introspective look at. So what we have is Genesis chapter two, verses one through two, and we want to view these two verses. Once <clears throat> we have presented these verse, once we have presented these views we will then explore our subject at hand, okay? So we want to be familiar with the views that we have on this particular, uh, these two particular verses. And once we kind of, under, we understand these views, 
then I think we we would put ourselves in a position to see if there was any other beings who were intelligent beings on this uh, earth. So we want to look at two views. This first view has to do with this first view has to do with the first creation. We call this the first creation, okay? In this view, it is believed that when Elohim commenced to create this world in six days, this was the first time that he did so. Consequently, when this view, <clears throat> with this view, when we read Genesis chapter one and verses one and two, we will see these two verses merely as Elohim telling us in verses one, in verse one, what he did. Okay, so he's telling us what he did in verse one. So the question that we ask is, what did he do? Okay, let's read what he did. Okay, so we want to read Genesis chapter one and verse one again. It said, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. So that's what he did. He created the heavens and the earth. That's what he did. And that's what Moses is telling us that he did. He created the heavens and earth. Now, if we consider verse one as a statement of fact that Elohim created the heavens and the earth, then how would we assess verse two? Okay, so, so if he said he did that in verse one, how do we assess verse two? Now, if this is the first creation, then naturally verse two would be supportive of this fact. So let us now read verse two. Now verse two says, and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit or the Ruach of Elohim moved upon the face of the waters. Okay, now verse two tells us that Elohim created the heavens and the earth and then in verse 2 he tells us that when he started to create them his spirit moved upon the material matter already in existence now what moses wrote was that elohim made our universe then in verse 2 he goes on to explain as to how he elohim did it Okay, so I want you to see that very clearly. He's saying in verse 1, he created the heavens and earth. And then in verse 2, it appears that he's saying, this is how he did it. And the rest of the chapter goes on to describe how he did it. All right, so what we are looking at is, if this is the first creation, then naturally, verse 2 would support that particular fact. Now, let us now read verse 2 again. It said, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the spirit of Elohim moved upon the face of the waters. <clears throat> so what we are experiencing here is a creation that Moses is telling us that Elohim performed and on the second day, he goes into how he did what he did. 
All right, he created the heavens and earth. And then after creating the heaven and earth, he wants us to know how he did it. And Moses described that. So verse two tells us that Elohim created the heavens and the earth. And then in verse two, he tells us that when he started to create them, his spirit moved upon the material matter already in existence. So what Moses wrote was that Elohim made our universe. Then in verse two, he goes into the explanation as to how he did. So Elohim did it that way. <clears throat> now, in the first creation that we've just spoken of, this is one of the first views, is that in this first creation view, there are some assumptions which goes along with it. Many who accept this view also go along with the ex nihilo, next hilo, ex nihilo theory. And we discussed that ex nihilo theory that Elohim brought forth from nothing, this universe. That's usually when people read this, they say, when you look at that word create, it means he created something out of nothing. Ex, ex nihilo. Now, in addition to uh, that, they attribute the word create to mean to make something out of nothing. Okay, and so we want to understand this in this first view. That when they look at the word create, they said he created something out of nothing. Okay, so we want to, want to keep that in mind as we go through this. Now, <clears throat> with this first view, as we continue to read what Moses said about the creation narrative, the succeeding verses of this chapter are merely telling us how he created the universe. So if we would read the rest of the chapter, it would just simply go day by day of what he, what he created. Now, in such deductive reasoning as this, in the first creation view, it appears that there is very little room to see the possibilities that not only was this the first and only creation of this earth, but this earth was being occupied by Adam and Eve for the first time, okay? So what we are looking at, if we go by this first view of Genesis chapter one, in verses two, in verse two, we are saying that when he made this 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 earth, that only Adam and Eve were the beings that first populated this place, and there was nobody else. Because if you look at this view, it doesn't allow too much room for anything else. However, in our next view, which is the second creation, now we talked about the first creation. In the first creation, it was the first time that Adam and Eve got here, okay, according to that view. However, in our next view, which is the second creation view, there is a vast difference between uh, this view and the first view. Let us look at this view from the standpoint of Genesis chapter 1 and verses 1 and 2. Let's read these verses again as we did in the first view. Now, the Bible says, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens 
and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the spirit of Elohim moved upon the face of the waters. Okay, now, let's read these verses again as we separate them and look at them. It says, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Okay, now, when we look in the second view at this first verse, here in this verse, particularly, we see not only what he created, but also both what he created and done by him and what he did was completed and finished by him. So in other words, when we look at this first verse, we are not only seeing what Elohim did, but it is telling us that what he did was completed. It was finished. Now, Moses, for Moses, writes in the past tense that Elohim created. So if he said Elohim created, he is saying that what he did was a finished work. What he did was a complete work. So that verse, in a sense, can stand by itself. Because what does it say? He said, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. In other words, what he did, he completed it. Now, if, if for Moses to write in a past tense that Elohim created, then verse 1 is not simply a statement of fact of what he did, but what he completed. Apparently, this verse 1 could stand alone by itself without any supportive without any other supporting verse. In other words, if we just read this on his own merit, it could stand on his own. It's telling us what he did and what he accomplished. Consequently, if verse 1 of Genesis 1 can stand upon its own merits, then it allows for us to read verse 2 in a different light than we have previously viewed it. Let's again read verse 2 of Genesis chapter 1. Let's read that verse again. It said, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the spirit of Elohim moved upon the face of the waters. Okay, now this is what verse 2 says. Now, just looking at this verse along with alone, without any connections with verse one, we would have we would have to look at it from just what it says. What does it say? It basically says that this earth was in a chaotic state of being without form. And it was void. It had no form, it was shapeless, and it was empty. And then it says, darkness was upon uh, the earth. And he sent out his spirit upon it. And it appears that this text is presenting to us a catastrophic picture of an earth 
in disarray. If in this verse alone we have such disorganization of earthly material, we would be led to either believe that when Elohim started to create this world, that was the state of it, or perhaps it is it became that way. So if in the first so if 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 we see in verse two that he's talking about something that is form formless and void, darkness, and has no kind of continuity, we have to draw the conclusion that either this is the way the earth started off or something happened to cause it to get in that condition, okay? So if, if Genesis 1 and Genesis, if Genesis 1, 1 and Genesis 1, 2 are presenting two different aspects of creation, then let us again put them together. So we looked at them separately. And when we look at them separately, in verse 1, everything is in order. In verse 2, everything is out of order. So now let's, let's put these two verses together. Okay, if we say that Moses wrote verse, verses one and two in conjunction to one another, then we would be presented with a rather conflicting view of creation, which would obviously raise some questions. Now, first, if verse is verses one of Genesis, if verse one of Genesis chapter one, is pointing out to us that Elohim created and finished the heavens and the earth. And in verse two, we are reading about the same earth in a chaotic state. It was seen that between verses one and two, something happened to make what he created and finished in verse two to become disarrayed. There must be some rationale as to why Elohim creates a perfect heaven and earth. And then no sooner he does this, in the next verse, we are presented with the earth, which is covered with water, without form, no plants, and it's in the darkness. How did that happen? How can you go to something that is perfect to something that is imperfect? One verse is stating what he did and what he done, and then the next verse is talking about what was undone and what was undid. So how, how, how did we go from one state to the other is what we're trying to, trying to figure out here. Now, it is this second view of two creations that gives us an opening to the possibility that we are dealing with two rather than one creation, okay? So this is what we want to establish. In the first view, we were only dealing with one creation. But now in the second view, we're dealing with two creations. What are the two creations? The first creation was in verse number one. He created the heavens and the earth. The second creation is that the earth was without form and void and darkness upon the face of the deep. And he sent out his spirit to move upon the waters 
So now he's trying to start another creation because apparently from verse two, this, this world is messed up. Verse one didn't give us a, mi a, a mixed up world, but verse two does. And we're trying to see if we put these two, two verses together, how can we make sense of this? Now, so let us logically reason if verse one is saying to us, Elohim made and created and finished the heavens and the earth. And then in the next view, we are experiencing an unfinished, a formless, empty, and a dark state of things. One would wonder how did this earth go from the formal state of perfection to the latter state of imperfection? It is only reasonable that we should ask these questions. Not only does this second state cause us to question why this is so, it is also brings into questions how old is this earth, okay? That's another question we, ha we have to answer. How old is this earth? Okay, now one of the questions that is ongoing for both the Bible scholars and the, and the scientists research is how old is this earth? Now, many Bible scholars claim that it is only about 6,000 years old, while some of the scientific community boasts that it's millions, if not billions of years in existence. Now, if we accept at least that in our second creation view, that there are two creations rather than one, this would accom accommodate both the scholars claim of 6,000 years and the scientific boast of billions of years. Okay, so no, in other words, you want to look at that. If in the second view that we look at it, and, this, and the biblical scholars are saying this world is 6,000 years old, and then the scientists said, no, it's billions of years old. But if we can accept the second view, it allows for both of them to be correct. Let's see how this is. Now, if, if in Genesis chapter one and verse one, Elohim created in his first creation, the heavens and the earth, and in the second creation, of which we call, in verse two, of which we call the recreation or the recreated, if he recre recreated them, then the creation in verse one could have been billions of years before the recreation in verse two. And the recreation could have been 6,000 years. And if this hypothesis is true according to our second view, then Genesis chapter one, verses one and two, it would be plausible for both ages of the earth to be correct. This would mean that if verse one, that when he first created the heavens and the earth and everything was perfect, he, it could have been billions of years. <clears throat> it could have been billions of years before he 
he he he now recreated the earth. And then when he recreated the earth from Adam on down to us, in the recreation, it could be six six thousand years. But the time before that could have been billions of years. So I can see how the scholars and the scientists could be correct because one is measuring the creation from the time before Adam and the other is measuring time from Adam. However, in addition to the questions we've already raised, there is another a pressing question we need to address as far as I know no scholar or scientist, it seems, has made an issue. And that question is, how old is matter? And when we consider just how old is matter, it brings us to view some questions we need to examine concerning Genesis chapter one and verses one and two. And what we're gonna do, we're gonna stop at this this portion here. Because what we are seeing is there are two ways you can interpret Genesis chapter one, verses one and two. And so we wanna continue with this second view next week because we're going to try to see if we can see how old the material of this earth is. We want to see, look at that and see how old it is, because there's something very significant that we want to bring out about this. Our Father in heaven, again, we want to thank you for the time that we spent on Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. As we anticipate next week, we want to be able to discern, was it? really something here going on between verses one and two that Moses wrote that we're not picking up, that we can understand the controversy that is going on. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it, and for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. amen. And amen. amen. So uh, in verse one, you were saying that uh, it doesn't really describe the state that he just created the heavens and the earth, and then verse two, it described the earth as being uh, really messed up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know. Um, so you're saying that somehow some scholars say that the earth is billions and years old, mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. they may be talking about in that aspect mm -hmm. that it's maybe billions of years old. Mm -hmm. From starting from when he originally did it, and then when you get into... Uh, uh, verse 2, and then he began to make this earth for the first time for Adam and Eve, not the earth, uh -huh. but but he was recreating it for Adam and Eve. That may have been 6,000 years. And I think sometimes when we look at what the scientists are saying and what the Bible is saying, it's a conflict, uh -huh. but I think both of them have some merits uh, in the way that Moses wrote this. So, with that being said, because doesn't the scripture state that uh, one day is like a thousand years or something like that? Yeah, Peter says a thousand years is as a day with Elohim, and a, and 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 a thousand years is as one day, and one day is as a thousand years. The Bible does say that, right? 
So is it possible that this earth was made in a thousand years? Each day was a thousand years or so possible. Well, not, well, you would have a question with that. Here's the question that you would have. Uh If, if, if every day of the creation week was not a 24 hour day prayer and it was a thousand years. Uh And then when you get to the Sabbath, are you saying that it was also a thousand years too? Mm-hmm. Now here's the here's the problem. Here's the problem with saying that a literal twenty-four hour creation day was a thousand years. One of the problems is we know that when you have plants, mm-hmm. he 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 made plants on the third day, and we know that if you don't have no light for a thousand years, ain't no plant gonna live. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that that would be one of the problems. The next problem that you would have is that when you get to the Sabbath day, you're not saying that the Sabbath is a weekly Sabbath. You're saying that you have to have a thousand years in order to keep the Sabbath. So logically, that wouldn't that wouldn't fit in here. But when Elohim was telling Adam that he would die in the day that he eat of the fruit, he was talking about the longevity of his life, not necessarily a 24-hour day when, yeah. he, when, when he was saying that you would die. Because it's obvious, obviously, if he may have 900 in, in about 60 years, that wasn't a 24-hour day. So you have to look at the conflict in that scenario to know that he was talking about 1,000 years. But in here, we are just talking about a day as far as a 24-hour period. Okay. And you said next week you're going to be expanding upon that. On yeah. Time. What I want to, the reason why I didn't want to cover it this week is I didn't want, I want to, us to get a foundation of the two views of creation, especially Genesis chapter one and verses one and two. Now that we got the two views, we want to look at matter because it's going to be some questions that we are raising about matter uh, and how long it's been here that we, we, we should take a look at. And I believe some of the scholars are looking at it, but I think for the average church goer, some of these subjects are not are not even introduced, let alone discussed. Mm-hmm. So we want to look at that next week. Okay. So mark your calendars. Tune in next week at 3 p.m. as the pastor continues on uh, with the study of uh, This World's Kingdoms, uh, Part 12. And with that, we will transition to our next segment. Up next is Let's Talk About That. So today in Let's Talk About It, I want to talk about Yah's jealousy and anger. Is it a negative? Is it a bad thing? So if you have your Bibles, uh, if you will turn with me to uh, Deuteronomy the sixth chapter, and we're going to read verse 15, Deuteronomy 6, verse 15. And it reads, For Yahuwah Eloheka is a jealous El among you, lest the anger of Yahuwah Eloheka be kindled against you and destroy you from off the face of the earth. So, with that, Pastor, I wanted to ask... Is now we see that Elohim he is a jealous El, 
and his anger has been kindled. I mean, we have seen his mm. anger kindled against Yasharel through the years. Is anger and jealousy a bad emotion, a bad thing? Because it seems like those emotions before this world was created, he had these emotions mm-hmm. and everything. You know, because, you know, a lot of times we get the notion that uh, Yah is uh, a loving, which he is a loving Elohim, but we don't think about the repercussions of certain things that we do. And even with Satan, that if he was such a loving Elohim, I don't think he would have kicked out. So are these things, jealousy and anger, a bad thing? Well, let's look at it from at least two aspects. Is it a good and bad thing? Well, uh, no, it's not. And on one avenue, uh, one side, it's not a bad thing because uh, his anger and jealousy is an indication that he loves you so much that he don't want you to go astray. Uh-huh. And so, in 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 that sense, uh, uh his anger and jealousy is good. I mean, if somebody has your best interests at hand and they get angry with you and they are jealous over you for a good reason, now, because mm-hmm. so, sometimes we get jealous and envy, uh, but it, uh, it, it may not be for a good reason. Mm-hmm. But, but when he does it, it's for a good reason. So we can say it is good. Okay. Now, I would say this on the opposite, on, on the opposite end, while it may be good, but yet it can be detrimental because uh, his his anger is not only saying that he wants the best for you, but he was saying, if you continue to do what you're doing, you, you, you still are not doing the best for yourself. Mm-hmm. And if you're going just going to go contrary to what I'm asking you to do, my anger and jealousy could destroy you. Mm. And that's that's the detriment about it. Uh-huh. So if we look at the text, this text says, for Yah, thy Elohim, is a jealous Elohim. Now, uh-huh. what does that mean? That means that he has an affection for you uh-huh. that he doesn't want to share with anybody else. That's between you and him. Uh-huh. He loves you so much. Uh-huh. He don't want to share that with no false idols or false gods or anybody else. And he said, if he see you sharing that, I'm going to get angry. Mm. And if I get angry, I could destroy you. Mm-hmm. And there's a number of instances that he has demonstrated that. Yeah. When Moses went up to get the 10 words and come down with those blue tablets and he broke them. And then Elohim told Moses that these people are so rebellious, I want to destroy them. And if it hadn't been for Moses as the intercessor, he probably would have destroyed the whole nation of Israel. But because of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and because Moses pleaded with him, he he spared them. But his jealousy was so uh, enraged by his anger that he was willing to destroy them. So that can be a detrimental thing. But at the same time, it is letting us know that he really has an affection for us to do the right thing. And if we do the right thing, he'll do the right thing by us, giving us the protection and his guidance. Wow. So, 
So it's more of not uh, something that he hates us. He just hates some of the things we do, and he doesn't want to share us with anyone. No. He wants it all to himself. Right. He made us. He created us. Then we went astray. He saved us. So he said, I want you mine. You know, I, I didn't save you to go out here and worship other, other Elohims. No, he uh-huh. said, you mad. And we have to understand that, you know, his righteous indignation is, you know, it's is, is terrible if he let loose of it. Uh-huh. Wow. So, so those were the specific reasons why he said in the Ten Commandments, because it seemed like the first couple Ten Commandments was all about him. You mm-hmm. know, don't worship any other Elohims but him. Don't That's use right. his name in vain and whatnot, you know, mm-hmm. and everything. Um, now, when it comes to using his name in vain, uh, in this day and age, you know, as far as I start to study, God, you know, J- uh, Jesus and everything, a lot of those things was created. Um, so like, as far as I know, like Yahuwah is, is his name until I know better, uh, if there's Mm -hmm. something else different. So Mm -hmm. using his name in vain, if we're saying Yahuwah, uh, we are not to misuse that name, um, when it comes to using his name in vain. Now, what do you mean? Well, your your question seems like it's a double-edged sword. It's saying, you're saying that we can use Yahuwah in vain. No, we can't. We can't use Yahuwah We we can't use it in vain, but the other side of the question seems like what you're asking is, is that not only should we not use that name in vain, but the other side of the question is, is uh, that, if we use the name at all, we are using it in vain. I'm not no, getting no, clear. No, no, uh, no. Because I think, like, you know, some people would use uh, certain names as kind of curse words. And all. Oh, well, that's a different thing. Yeah, I was you just, know. that's what I was saying. It was kind of like a two-edged question. Uh, in other words, when we get frustrated about something, people may use his name in a profane way, uh-huh. that shouldn't be. That shouldn't be. That's using his name in vain to do that. Okay. And then the other way that you can use his name in vain is that if you call yourself his follower and you're doing things contrary to what we were just talking about, that when you get jealous and envy that he strike you down, is that we're not living in the way that we should, even though we are supposed to be his children, that can also use his name in vain as well. Okay. Okay. Uh, we have a question, and it reads, the time between Genesis 1 and 2, is that what is called the gap theory? Oh, yeah. I think some people, yeah, I think some people call that the gap theory. Yeah, yeah, huh? Okay. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you can refer to that as the gap theory. Uh, see what? Uh, let me. Let me. Let, I'm glad you brought that up. Let, let's. Let me see if I can find it. 
I want to point out something. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you brought that out. Okay. Uh, uh, let me see. Uh, okay, I want I, I, I want to just point out something. So it sounds like we got some Bible scholars out here. Mm -hmm. Why don't you turn with me to the book of Daniel? Okay. And there in the book of Daniel, uh, I want you to put your finger in that chapter, okay? Daniel chapter 12. And I want you to look at verse 2, but I want you to hold it. Because what, what I want to point out to you about the gap theory is this. Okay. Now, here we want to look at also, once you got Daniel 12 too, I want you to also turn to Revelation. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I want to turn to Revelation chapter 20. And... Uh, we're going to look at, uh, uh, let me see, verses, uh, let me see. Uh, verses 5 through about 6. Okay. Revelation chapter 20, ver verses 5 and 6. But we want to turn back to Daniel. Okay, now, in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 2, notice what it says. It said, and many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, okay? He says, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Mm -hmm. Now, you got, you got two resurrections here, two resurrections in verse 2 of Daniel chapter 12. He said, you got, he said, and many of them shall sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, okay? That's one resurrection. Mm -hmm. And then he says, some to everlasting life. Okay, now, notice what it says. It says, and many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Now, who's sleeping in the dust? You got two classes sleeping in the dust. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Okay, so you got those who are going to come forth out of the earth for eternal life and those who are going to come forth out of the resurrection in shame and everlasting content. Now, if you look at that verse, just like in Genesis, when you look at the gap theory, uh -huh. it didn't it didn't say anything about time. Only thing it said in the beginning. That's all it said. In this text, it is just telling you about the two resurrections, but there's no time there, right? No time. They just saying you got the you you got those who are going to come up to everlasting life and those who are going to come up everlasting content, but it didn't give you a time period. But when, when you turn to Revelation uh, chapter 20, notice what it says about the time period, about those who are coming forth for eternal life and those who are coming forth for e eternal shame and content. Okay, when we lose Revelation chapter 20 and start with verse 5, it says, uh, I see it, let me see. In the, okay, it says, but the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years was finished. Okay, now, that's suggestive. If the rest of the dead, who are the rest of the dead? Well, let's go up to verse 4. And verse 4 said, And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them 
And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Yeshua and the word of Elohim, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and they reigned with the Messiah a thousand years. Okay. Mm -hmm. He said, now, uh, those who had been beheaded, they were already dead. They went to the dust. Okay. But it says that in, in verse five, but the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years was finished. This is the first resurrection. So the first resurrection is the resurrection of the righteous. Okay. And then in verse six, it said, blessed are they that have part in the first resurrection of such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of Elohim and of the Messiah and shall reign with him a thousand years. So what it is saying, the resurrection of the dead uh, for those who receive life going to come for us first, but then a thousand years later, then the unrighteous dead is going to come forth. So when you see that, a lot of times they are saying things in the scriptures that they are not giving you a chronological framework. You have to look in another part of the scriptures to get it. Because on the resurrection that Daniel is given, you would get the idea that those who are coming forth for eternal life and those for everlasting content was happening at the same time. They were not. They were having a different time. So when you read the gap theory in, 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 the, in, in the first chapter of Genesis and verses one and two, uh, it's so much going on between those two verses that uh, that if if you don't look at other parts of the scriptures, you would you would be thinking that all of this is happening simultaneously at the same time. But it's not. Mm -hmm. There's a gap that is going on between chapter one. I mean, uh, verse one and two. And as I pointed out in the first view, there is no gap. But in the second view that I presented, there was a gap. And that's what we want to look in that gap and try to find out how old this earth is. You're right. Yeah, they call that the gap view. Okay. And uh, we had a comment. Uh, reads, I just wanted to send my love and greetings to the pastor and all the mishpachah. Thank you for faithfully being here each Shabbat to bring us these wonderful lessons to help us grow and understand the word more. We are looking forward to Tabernacles. Have a blessed day. All right. Thank you very much for the comment. We certainly appreciate that. So we look forward to tomorrow to having you being with us as we continue with Tabernacle. And uh, we have another uh, comment question, and it reads, most people call the most high God. If they use the phrase God D, and we know what that means, aren't they using his name in vain because Yah looks at the motive of the heart and knows that they are using his name in vain, even if they don't use his name, Yah. Great question. Okay. Uh, one of the things that we want to look at is the word God. Okay. You know, where, where did that word come from? Mm -hmm. Well, actually, some of the Germanic tribes, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't have have it read here, but I do have it in collection of some of my studies. The word God actually came from the word "gud," G-U-D. Okay, mm 
-hmm. Now, G-U-D from one of the Germanic tribes, that meant the supreme being. And then over time, you know, words have an etymology. Words have histories that if you trace the history or the etymology of a word, it starts off one way. And then as time goes on and people use it, it may develop into another word. So G-U-D developed into G-O-D, and then we started calling them God. And so God became a general name for certain uh, Germanic tribes that looked at the supreme being. So if we, most people, I would say a great majority, I wouldn't say most, but I would say a, a great number of people who read the Bible, and when you read the Bible, that's all you see is G-O-D. It's some kind of, of, a, of a general name uh, that they call Elohim. They call him, call him God. Now, it could, if you have a knowledge of something and you don't use that knowledge, it could, it could be using his name in vain. Okay. But if I'm talking to the average person and, and I don't have a knowledge of what they know and they say God, you know, I, I'm not going to go through a lecture unless they ask me about it. And some people have asked me and they opened the line of communication for me to explain why I use the name Elohim and Yahuwah and Yah, I can explain it to them. But if they don't explain it, uh, but if, 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 they, if they're not asking me to explain it and they are trying to make a point about Elohim and they call him God, you know, I'll let it go because that's, I'm, I'm assuming that's as far as they, their knowledge go because we don't want to get in, into the thing of, of being offensive with people when we know for a fact that at one time we didn't even use his name. And now that we are using the name, we're going to come on, come down on those who, who, who are using it. No, let's, let's, let's not do that. But, but if they ask us, we can tell them. Mm -hmm. And if they know and they still want to do it, it could be in vain. And then, if they know, if they don't know, and they ask us, it may give us an opening, you know, to explain to them why we are using it the way that we are using it. So what we want to do, we want to be uh, polite, dignified, and not to be offensive to people just because they use the name G-O-D, okay? But at the same time, if we are cognizant of that, we have to use the knowledge that we know to call him just as they are using the knowledge that they know, and that's what they call it. For after all, that's what they were taught. Yeah. And after we were taught better, we did better. So you can only do better when you are taught better. Yeah. Because I know, um, like, when I talk to people out and about, I don't, unless they're Hebrew, I generally have to go back to using Jesus and God and things of that nature because they don't know just yet Yahuwah and Yahusha just yet. So you have to relate to them to what they know and everything. Because, I mean, I, I didn't know at one point in time, but now I know and everything. So I try not to use it. But for people who may not know, you have to, you know, use common language, you know, to, you know, explain certain things. You know. Well, with that, Pastor, can you take us to the throne as we get ready to close out this podcast for this week? Okay. I love it, Father. We thank you for the questions and the inquiries that we have received. And as we continue to fellowship one with another, that we may grow. We may grow with the discourses. We may also grow with the questions that are being asked, that as we continue to grow together, that we can stay together. And most of all, 
one day we can be together with you because we have understood correctly and we have walked at all of the knowledge that we had the privilege of understanding and to know. So we ask that you'll bless each one of our listeners, their families and loved ones. Bless them there as they look to you, O oh Heavenly Father, that they can have all of the resources that is needed to have life at its best. And as we get ready to close the service, continue to give us blessings on the Shabbat that we can appreciate and help us that as we make a transition into the day of Sukkot, that as we celebrate this Feast of Booths, that we can get a blessing. So between now and tomorrow, we ask that the power of the Holy Spirit may continue to guide and lead us, that we may have more blessings, O Heavenly Father, from celebrating your feast days that you have given. And many people say they are the Jewish, but we read in the Bible that says they are your feast days that you gave to the Jews. They are not the Jews' feast days, but they are ours because Elohim has given it to us. These and other blessings we do ask in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Now, before we go, we want to be sure uh, Tabernacles begins sundown this evening to sundown tomorrow. Uh, I'm asking. Yeah, that's what it is. Okay. You said from uh, sunset Sunday. to uh, sunset, uh, and what it is, we'll start, we'll open it. Uh-huh. Uh, at sunset tonight, okay, and and the first day of Tabernacle closes uh, Sunday evening, and then we go through the week. It's still Tabernacles, but we celebrate the first and the last day, and then next Sunday is the same thing. We come out of a Sabbath and we go into a Sabbath, which which is the closing, the eighth day mm-hmm. of Tabernacles, and then Sunday at sunset, okay, then it's closed. Uh, okay. So remember tonight at sundown, Tabernacles begin. And we look forward to you joining us tomorrow at 3 p.m. as we kick off uh, Tabernacles. Uh, and if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. We would love your comments and we love your questions. And the king stood in his place and made a covenant before Yahuwah to talk after Yahuwah and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant which are written in this book, Second Chronicles thirty four thirty one, until tomorrow. Shalom. Join us live as we celebrate the fall feast, beginning with the Feast of Trumpets on September the 17th at 3 p.m. Then the Day of Atonement on September the 26th at 3 p.m. The beginning of the Feast of Tabernacles, October the 1st at 3 p.m. And the closing of Feast of Tabernacles, October the 8th at 3 p.m. We look forward to you joining us. Shalom.